The title for this evening's talk is No Second Arrow. But before I get to the arrow part, I'd like to go with you into a rich and colorful and important story from the Greek mythology. And that's the story of Procrustes. Procrustes was a, a thug, a mugger, who robbed his victims. That's what he did. That's not all that he did. In fact, robbing was the least of his crimes. After he robbed his victims, he tortured them. Some of you may have heard about his instrument of torture, which is known as the Procrustean bed. It was a, an iron bed of a, obviously a fixed length. And after he robbed his victims, he put them, laid them down on that bed. And if they were too short, in my case, I think, he'd stretch them out until the legs coincided I mean, the two ends of the person coincided with the two ends of the bed. Horrendous torture. And if they were too long, as some people in this hall may be, he simply took an axe and chopped off whatever was protruding. So the chances that the victims would the right size for the bed were very slim. This myth goes very deep into a human condition that I'm sure we are familiar with. Procrustes the robber stands for the circumstances that deprive us of that which we hold dear. That's uh, fair enough in a way. We know that this is going to happen, that there will be illness, that there will be, in fact, death, that there will be all forms of loss and adversity, as well as the other side, of course. But these losses will happen. And in reference to, to our children, particularly, there are all kinds of opportunities for loss to happen. Illness, failing in school, misbehaving. I don't really have much to add to the whole... Um, stories, uh, the series of stories that were shared by uh, many of you this morning in the parenting uh, group about dissatisfaction um, with uh, our kids, and I, I'm part of that too, although I didn't speak. And sometimes dissatisfactions that reflect dissatisfaction with ourselves. 
That's fair enough. I mean, there'll be that, a lot of that. And that's what Procrustes the robber represents. But on top of that, the really grievous thing is the torture. And Procrustes the torturer stands for ourselves, torturing ourselves because we do not fit into the bed of our expectations. Expectations for ourselves and expectations for others. Particularly in the context of this retreat, very often what comes up is expectations in regard to our children. And then expectations for ourselves because we expect we think we ought to be reacting in a certain way to our children. We think we ought to like them all the time. We, we think we should never be angry. And that's not the reality of things. The reality of things is sometimes we are angry, sometimes we are, we are annoyed. Sometimes we fail to accept our children, we even fail to accept ourselves. And so, like in the story of Procrustes, we insist, after the loss, in the torture, because things do not fit. Do not fit the rigidity of our expectations. This very same issue has been addressed less colorfully but very directly by the Buddha in his simile of the two arrows. I mean, read from the Samyutta Nikaya. When touched with a feeling of pain, the uninstructed run-of-the-mill person, that's us of course, Sorrows, grieves, and laments, beats his breath, becomes distraught. So he feels two pains, physical and mental. Just as if they were to shoot a man with an arrow, and right afterwards were to shoot him with another one so that he would feel the pain of the two arrows. In the same way, when touched with a feeling of pain, the uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person sorrows, grieves, and laments, beats his breast, becomes distraught, so he feels two pains, physical and mental. In this particular quotation, the Buddha seems to limit the first arrow to physical pain, and then the second arrow, the torturing arrow, to mental pain. But, in fact, it's very clear from the, in the, from the context of the teachings that both arrows can be mental, that we can have uh, the grieving a loss, and that's just grieving a loss, and on top of it, 
shoot ourselves with another. It's, um, it's also been explained by the translator of this text in a note that, in fact, the, the original, the, the Pali version of this, implies that both wounds are very near each other. So the second arrow sort of hits us in a place that's already sensitive. So that it's, uh, the pain it causes is uh, magnified. You know that. If you hurt yourself and then you hurt yourself again in the same place, it's just far worse. So I'm, I'm making a parallel of these two uh, similes, two uh, metaphors, if you wish, uh, making Procrustes the robber, the first arrow, and Procrustes the torturer, the second arrow. And the second arrow, again, to, to enlarge a little bit on that, is the one that we shoot to ourselves, blaming ourselves, feeling guilty, making judgments about ourselves, or, or others, of course, finding faults. In fact, refusing to just accept what the first error manifests. In fact, creating a new character in this story, which is the victim. We fabricate the victim by shooting the second arrow. And, and this rigidity and, and the expectations that lead to this, as I was saying in the procrustean bed, in that we expect a certain outcome of things. Not that just we expect things to be good. We expect a, a, a very specific outcome. And we call that outcome success. We expect success. We, we predefine success and then we expect success. Success may be our child graduating from school or, or college or whatever. Um, at, at times, it's just graduating. Oh, thank God he made it or she made it. Other, other times, it's uh, uh, you know, making the honor roll or whatever. We do this so consistently that at times, we may wonder ourselves whether there isn't a certain perverse gratification in this torch. Just, just looking at that. We could just stop it, couldn't we? But we are attached to it. And of course there's a whole system that collaborates with this. There's a whole system that colludes with us or we collude with the system that tells us this is the way to go. The only way to, you know, get ahead in life 
is to create some expectations and try to meet them. And there's, of course, competitiveness in school, in sports, fueling this um, um, race of expectations, which obviously inevitably lead to failures. There's one of a myriad of different examples. This is a, a page from TV Guide, relatively recent, I think, the last episode of Boot Camp. I've never seen it, I don't know. And it says, final episode, the torment, the pain, the triumph. And then below it says, uh, 16 recruits started. Tonight, only one will finish. The only one who fits the Procrustean bed. I mean, it's not bad odds, one in 16, comparing with, with the Procrustes bed, which I'm sure is much worse than that. One way in which we, at times, justify this shooting of the second arrow to ourselves is because we, many of us anyway, have come to feel that without it we are going to do nothing. We are going to be totally passive in the world. We've got so used to respond to the torture rather than to the wisdom that it appears to us that we wouldn't act if we just had the first arrow. And sometimes we, we that's true. Sometimes we, we've been hyped by this torture to the point that we need to get the torture again, to suffer this, this, this excruciating pain, to really do anything about it. And because we have used to respond just to excruciating pain, or some forms of self-torture anyway, then Without it, nothing. But look at what happens when we use this second arrow as an inducement for action. Our action is really guided not by looking at circumstances wisely, is now acted guided by avoidance of the torture. The torture moves us, gets us off our back, sure, but it doesn't lead us skillfully. It leads us to denial or avoidance. 
take, take any circumstance of loss that you can think of, say, loss of a relationship. The, the arrows that we shoot at ourselves around this issue sometimes prompt us to rush into any other relationship, no matter what, just to avoid the pain, the excruciating pain. And, and certainly, this can happen in dealing with our kids as well. Um, disaffection with a child, which, which happens, is bound to happen. I mean, it's part of the growing process. But if instead of just looking at that disaffection and seeing what needs to be done, we start blaming ourselves and hitting ourselves and twisting the knife in the wound, as it were, it's also what the second arrow means, uh, we'll have no, no guidance on what needs to be done. All we are going to, to be prompted by is how can we avoid this? How can we compensate for this? Maybe the, the affection of another child may compensate for the, this disaffection of this one, whatever. So, I would say that reality is just the opposite in the sense that second arrow is not at all a prerequisite for action, at least a skillful action. It is a, it does help unskillful action, yes. The only way to act skillfully is to really look at the actual circumstance. Look at the Reality, not of the expectations. And of course, uh, the Buddha completes his um, story of the two arrows by referring now to what happens when you don't shoot the second arrow. He says, now, the well instructed disciple of the nobles ones, when touched with a feeling of pain, doesn't sorrow, grieve, or lament, doesn't beat his breast, or becomes distraught. So, he feels one pain, physical. In this case, the example is about physical pain. He feels one pain, physical, but not mental. Just as if they were to shoot a man with an arrow and right afterwards did not shoot him with another one so that he would feel the pain of only one arrow. In the same way, when touched with a feeling of pain, 
the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones doesn't sorrow, grieve, or lament, doesn't beat his breast or become distraught. He feels one pain, physical but not mental. So, all this is referring to acceptance. To acceptance, to, in other words, to seeing things as they are, period. No need to put an overlayer of blame, blame, of denial, of reactivity. And it is only from this acceptance of what there is at the moment that skillful action can emerge to change that situation, if that's what's warranted and possible and wise. Acceptance is not passivity. Acceptance is the beginning of action. The starting point of any wise action has to be. This is the way things are now. I, I recognize that. I don't torture myself around it. This is it. And from there, looking at the situation, action can be. Now, what if Still, we do, because we are used to, bombard ourselves with this secondary. You know, still blame ourselves. This, my child is like this or like that, and, and it's my fault. And, and that's a real feeling, that's part of the reality of the situation. But let's take that as part of the reality of the situation. That's it. The reality of the situation is that my mind has created this story. That's all. Story in my mind. It's unnecessary to shoot at myself a second arrow because I've created this story. Or a third arrow in this case. A third arrow because I've created this story. Because I, I, I blame, or recriminate, or whatever. That is part of the way things are. And closure can only come from accepting that at this moment, that's how I feel. Not buying into, into the blame not turning the feeling into an additional arrow, just as many arrows as they are, period. Stop the brush. Enough with the arrows. So, when this barrage stops, then and only then are we in a position to, by being aware of what's happening, 
align ourselves with those forces that can diminish suffering or even come to the end of suffering for ourselves for others whether confronting a rebellious child disharmonious relationship the burden of conditioning Let us add on no more pain to the pain that already exists. But connect ourselves to the flow of things. Such that our actions, our attitudes, our mind will let peace in will let the Buddha in let's sit for a few minutes Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.